All right, church. Well, we want to welcome you again to a time online where we get a chance to worship our Lord and spend some time in His Word. As usual, we encourage you to put all the cares of your week on the shelf and choose to really enter in and put the spotlight on Jesus Christ. You 
your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Hello, my internet people. It is so good to be with you. Worship team, thank you so, so much. Hi, everybody. I'm Josh. have a couple of announcements for you guys. First of all, if there's anything that we could be praying for you for this week. We'd love to pray for you. We know that there's just stuff going on in your lives, and we would just love to partner with you in prayer. Please text any prayer request to 97,000, and we will pray for you this week. There is so much going on here at ABF. If you are interested in knowing about those things, about ministries and events going on, please check out the website. The calendar is always updated. You can get any information you need there on the website. Also on the website, if you've been blessed by this ministry, this online ministry, these messages every week, and you'd like to give financially, man, that is such a huge part of keeping this thing going. And so if you're interested in giving, you can do that online on the website under the Give tab. Uh, man, that would be a huge blessing for us. Thank you so much for continuing to partner us in giving. Uh, now we're going to get to our time in the Word, and I would just love to pray for that time together. Let's pray. Dear Father, um, Lord, just thank you that we get to continue to do this. Um, thank you that these videos get to continue to go out and that people can access them so easily that your word is at our fingertips. Um, Lord, I pray that you would just use the teaching of your word today uh, in just a sweet way. Would you meet us exactly where we're at and say exactly those things to our heart that we need to hear, Lord? We pray that you just convict us and stir in our hearts now. We love you and we pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right. Well, thank you so much. And thank you, worship team, for leading us for just an amazing time and uh, celebrating our Lord. Well, as you know, we're working through this uh, story of Joseph, which has been such a blessing even in my own study. Hopefully it has been for you as well. I want to invite you to turn with me. We're in chapter 41 here today. And while you're turning to the passage, I want to just describe, it'll make sense in a moment, a little bit of what a Sunday afternoon looks like at the Kegel household. It usually involves our L-shaped sectional, usually involves a sporting event, non-consequential as a background noise in the happening on the television. It also involves Adrian and I typically crashed in an L-shape on that sectional. Well, this past, uh, this past uh, Sunday, as we're kind of recovering from just a great morning of church, uh, I get a phone call from a, just a wonderful lady in our church, and she was uh, explaining to me just a, kind of a, with a heavy heart, just a lot of the, the burdens that her sister, who lives uh, up north, was going through, kind of basically sharing, man, this, uh, this lady has just really hit rock bottom. And in the conversation, as we're talking through that, she mentioned, I really think that she would be blessed by a phone call from either you or Adrian this afternoon. Now, I'll be completely honest, since we're here in church, it was kind of one of those calls that you're like, oh, I don't know. And so right after the, uh, after the conversation, I get off the phone with her. I'm talking to my wife, and this is, this is a full transparency. There's a little bit of rock, paper, scissors played between Adrian and I as to who would make that phone call. About uh, two, two rounds into it, I realized how immature I was being, and so I picked up the phone and made the phone call. It was one of those times that you're reminded of why you do what you do. It was a 
beautiful time for the next probably 45, 50 minutes, getting a chance to share the love of Jesus with this lady as she's kind of in a, at a point of despair in her life and being an encouragement. In the conversation, though, it was you really got the sense that there were some, some walls up and you didn't necessarily feel like she was at a place where she was uh, ready to make a decision for Christ. But at the end of the, the, the time, I took a moment to, to pray with her and I explained kind of, hey, if there's anything that you are, are going to cling to from this conversation, just remember that really your new beginning, your fresh start has to begin on your knees before the Lord. Has to begin on your knees before the Lord. Left that conversation and we went back and actually spent some time that afternoon. My family was over. We prayed for this woman that God would do a work in her heart. And I wasn't sure what God was going to do with it as she's many states away. Well, that evening at about 9.45, this is Halloween Eve, I get a phone call from this woman. And uh, she says to me the first thing on the phone, she says, Pastor Scott, she said, I'm ready to get on my knees before the Lord I'm at the point where I'm ready for a new beginning. It was such a privilege in that time to lead her in praying, to embrace Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior, to, to give over her life to his leadership. It was a, a great reminder for me that we're in the, the same scenario that we were in the thousands of years ago as we read these stories. We're in the same scenario where we have a God that loves to restore People that are broken, people that seem beyond repair, people that are in the pit, the people that are in depression, people that are going through misery. We have a God that loves to take the broken and to redeem it. And so as we read these stories, we have to realize that, that human nature hasn't changed, uh, not very much at least. We still deal with the same struggles, the same temptations, and definitely our God, the God that restores, has definitely not changed. So as you're going through this text today and as tempted as your mind might want to be to say, oh, well, what does this have to do with me? It may as well have been last week as it was back here in Genesis chapter 41 that God was restoring lives, bringing hope, bringing a new beginnings to people. So I'm excited to look at this week because it's finally moving towards a, a little bit of uh, good news for Joseph after a season that seemed fairly bleak. Let me pray before we dive in. Lord Jesus, we come to you right now and excited to see what you have for us through this text because we believe these stories are really our story, the story of us and you coming before a God and still that same invitation when we come to you on bent knee, that's when you're able to work. That's when you're able to restore. We're excited to see what you have for us. I pray that we'd be free of distraction right now to really engage with what you have. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. I love the quote by theologian Vance Havner. He once said, God uses broken things, broken soil to produce a crop, broken clouds to give rain, broken grain to give bread, broken bread to give strength. It is the broken alabaster box that gives forth perfume. Think about this story that we're about to look at. That's the story of taking brokenness. So we're picking right back up where we left off with as what Josh referred to last week with the story of prison Joe. 
So last week, you might remember, uh, Joseph had the opportunity with two different key officials of Pharaoh to interpret their dreams. The Lord gave him the ability to communicate to them what was happening in their dreams and how it would play out. One was a positive thing and one not so much. But you remember what he did with the cupbearer is he pleaded with them. He said, when you get out, when you're restored to your position, please, whatever you do, don't forget me here in prison. Let's take a look. Last week, we were told that he was forgotten. Now time has passed. Chapter 41, verse 1. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly thin cows ate up the seven attractive plump cows, and Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swaddled up the seven plump full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. All right, we'll pause there in the story. You notice at the beginning there what the emphasis is on. It says, two whole years. When we piece that together, this is basically, this has been 13 years since Joseph was sold into slavery. And it's now been two years, as it says here, since he pleaded with the cupbearer to remember him. Imagine those first weeks or days after he had talked to the cupbearer. He, I'm sure he heard a report that it played out exactly as he had prophesied. And so he's just waiting there, bags packed next to his bed, waiting for that day to come. When am I finally going to be set free? You wonder what that time looked like and whether the, the weeks then turning to months, at what point did Joseph begin to lose hope? That's where the mental battle begins. All the stuff that we wrestle through in the waiting room as well. We start asking some of the, the tough questions. Has God forgotten me? I didn't do anything to deserve this. Or even, even you have to wrestle with, with what Joseph would have asked. I was faithful to God. Why is he not being faithful to me? All the tough stuff that we wrestle through in the waiting room. But, we're reminded in the New Testament in a number of places, but specifically 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. In other words, guess what? We're to expect seasons of trial, seasons of waiting. And here's the reason why is because we get confused about what God is trying to do in our life. The problem is this. My goal for my life is happiness, and his goal for my life is holiness. 
Do you see the tension there? My goal is happiness. And so whenever we don't see our circumstances aligning with that goal for our life, we get thrown off. But his goal in our life is holiness for us to be transformed, to be more and more like him. So it's a lot easier for us to adjust our expectations because as I already mentioned, our God doesn't change. I wonder, just as I'm talking to so many different people here online in different places, I wonder what God might be doing in you during your current season of trials. What is he preparing you for? What wisdom is he trying to implant in you? What pride is he ridding you from? What aspect of your character is he wanting to shape, wanting to adjust? What level of dependence is he wanting to demand in your life? All of these things happen while we wait in those seasons of waiting. The hardest thing for us is to make the choice not to run, not to go the route of bitterness. We talked about that a couple weeks ago because you begin to realize God's moving. He's Just because you don't see him moving doesn't mean he's not actively involved in orchestrating things behind the scenes. Now, in hindsight, you can actually see and read about what he was doing even in the kingdom as a whole with the Pharaoh himself. We're told about this Pharaoh's dream. It's kind of an interesting uh, dream where the Lord had implanted on his mind and describes, first was it described, it describes this uh, group of plump cows. Uh, Usually cows aren't known for swimming, but they come up out of the Nile. So plump, uh, a bunch of plump cows. It also, I I, I like in that description that it associates plump and attractive. Uh, And so those being uh, deeply connected here. But then he pictures the second group of cows he, as being skinny and, and, and uh, not, attra- not attractive. But here's the part where it turns a little bit to a horror story. And I've never really thought about it until I was uh, listening to a message this week. And what a horrific sight that would have been to see these skinny cows just start taking out these plump cows and eating them. Like it would have been a horror film, like just a a horrific scene of these cows that are normally chewing their cuds now becoming meat eaters and actually attacking and eating the other cows, something that without a doubt would wake you up in the middle of the night with your heart racing. What was that about? As he dozes back to sleep, we're told that there's a second dream, and this one's a, a little less uh, a little less traumatic. It's a dream of basically a granola battle. I heard one pastor describe it as a little less traumatic, yet still memorable. Then when he wakes up, he gathers together all the potential earthly wisdom that he can find, the, the magicians that he has, his, his counselors, all the wise men of that area. And guess what happens with all of them standing before him where he's asking for answers after describing the dream? None of them have any suggestion for what the dream means. Why do you think nobody made up something on the spot? Usually when you're under pressure, you're kind of like, come up with something, just start talking. But notice all of them remain silent. I think they remained silent because they realized what was at stake. They remember just a couple years ago what had happened to the baker. What had happened to the baker? 
on the Pharaoh's birthday, he had had his head chopped off. And so this, this is a, a Pharaoh that you don't want to get something uh, mixed up or wrong with. Basically, the guy that made him his birthday cake, he's chopping off his head. So all of them choose silence instead of a false prediction. Here's the thing that I think the important lesson that we learn from Pharaoh in this is that life's answers aren't to be found in the world around us. Life's answers aren't to be found in the world around us. As much as it wants to suggest possible answers, we have to realize that our truth source is not found in the world around us. Even just look at its suggestions for what's going to bring happiness. How, how often when somebody chases after the things that the world promises are going to bring happiness, are they left empty and wanting? That's the world that we're placed in. So as you're kind of uh, if walking the halls or pacing the halls and trying to wrestle through doubts or questions in your mind, man, the world is not where the answers are found. They're only answered in God. Verses 9 through 13, we're told about the self-centered cupbearer that finally remembers Joseph and makes the suggestion to the Pharaoh saying, hey, this guy that I knew in prison uh, told us a, a perfect uh, interpretation of our dreams. It came true exactly as he described it. And that was as much information as the Pharaoh needed in order to pull this slave out of prison. Take a look in verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they, prick, they quickly brought him out of the pit. I like that description. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. So here we are, two years since he's been thrown back in the slammer. They describe it here as the pit. And he didn't know that this day would become at any point in his life. All of a sudden it arrives and that's so often how it works in our lives. We don't know when that day is coming, that day of rescue, if you will. He's suddenly pulled from the pit. He's shaved, which I imagine means kind of cleaned up. He's given a, a fresh a set of clothing. I kind of feel like that's me with my teenage son every single morning going to school. He's given a, a fresh start, got his new threads on, and he's going before the Pharaoh. And as I mentioned before, what he says to the Pharaoh could either mean his life or his death. And notice what happens when the Pharaoh is suggesting, saying, hey, I've heard that when somebody brings a dream before you, you're able to give the answer. But I love, absolutely love the redirect that we see from Joseph. He answers Pharaoh, verse 16, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. It is not in me. It's a beautiful testimony that Joseph had learned a little something over his 13 years in prison. He had learned that his rescue was not from within. His hope, his truth would not be found within him. It would only come from God himself. 
So often, unfortunately, we get confused thinking that our truth should be found from within. In fact, you can go and sit in a, in a, a Tony Robbins conference and he'll say to you, you'll find the answer within you. Or our world echoes that same idea, that same lie. Just follow your heart or be true to yourself. It's no wonder there's so much confusion sexually presently and how much confusion there is with gender because of that kind of counsel that people receive. But what does scripture say about that? Jeremiah 17, 9, we're told, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So the question isn't whether or not we can listen to ourselves. The, the honest truth is, you can't be trusted. I can't be trusted. My heart can't be trusted. So as many things as want to echo, oh, just follow what you feel, how you're led, that, that's all lies. We can't be trusted. Here, we have to go to an outside truth source, which is only found, I believe, in what scripture teaches is in God's words himself, from himself. We don't know exactly when God revealed the meaning of this dream to Joseph, but likely at this point that he's speaking to the Pharaoh, he hasn't even heard the dream. He has no idea what the dream is even about. But notice the confidence that he has in his God. Because why? He had a track record of seeing God's faithfulness and provision. So he's announcing to the Pharaoh, most likely before he even knows the, what the dream is and definitely doesn't know what the interpretation is, my God is going to provide the answer. We should similarly have a growing confidence when we have a track record of God's faithfulness in our life. There should be something that clicks, that we start to connect. We start to think, oh, look how he took care of that situation. Oh, maybe I shouldn't be so fearful of this situation. Look how he provided there. There should be a growing confidence, but too often we get thrown off by the smallest of things when God must be saying, yeah, but look at all the big things I've taken care of in your life. Why wouldn't you trust me with the little things? But here, Pharaoh, there's some irony in this. Because the issue Pharaoh has is not that he doesn't know what the dreams mean. The issue that Pharaoh has is that he doesn't know God. He doesn't know God. For too long, he's been told that he is God. But the, do you see the irony here that he's bringing a slave out of prison in order to get answers that he doesn't have within himself, that he doesn't have himself. So not much of a God I like what Mark Driscoll says. He says, if you have a God that is asking for your help, you need a new God. If you have a God that's asking for your help, you need a new God. And that's exactly what Joseph is pointing out, whether Pharaoh recognizes it or not. Verses 17 through 24, Pharaoh repeats the dream that we just read about a moment ago to Joseph, giving him the same explanation of what had happened in his night's sleep. In verse 25, Joseph responds to that dream. Verse 25 says, Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears uh, are seven years. The dreams are one. 
The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is, a, it is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after that, them, there will arise seven years of famine." And all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream, the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. Verse 33 now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plenty, plentiful years. And let them gather all the food that they're uh, of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. The food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. So what's happened here? Through the, the power of God, Joseph perfectly interprets the two dreams and points out that they're really one in the same dreams and explains what is about to happen. Why does he do this? He's revealing to Pharaoh, he tells them that God is revealing his plans to expose them to the one true living God. I hope you see this as an act of compassion for this king and those people to expose them to the one true living God, their one and only rescue. This is an extension of his love to the people of, of Egypt and it's also a form of rescue to Joseph's family line. As we've already talked about, he's going to preserve that family line that will one day lead to Jesus. Now, one might ask, why didn't God just skip the famine so the rescue would not be necessary? That would be a kind of a, a, a common sense question. Why, why did he even bother with the famine? Why didn't he skip that? I already alluded to it, the answer. He's here wanting to make himself known, wanting to make himself known. That's part of the reason why he takes us on the roller coasters that he takes us on because we tend to cruise through life and not associate the blessings with God, from God, with God. We, we just absorb all the blessings and don't even take note of who they're coming for, from unless he takes us on these rides. And this famine is what's going to get their attention. So God not only gives him the perfect explanation of the dreams, it's kind of cool. He uses Joseph. We don't know where it cuts off, where it's God's specific words and where Joseph just steps out of his gifting. God's, God's made him to be a, a natural born administrator. You already saw it in the, in the, in, uh, in, uh, the household there with uh, Potiphar, and you've seen it already in the prison that God's blessing him and giving him a great mind. I'm sure as a slave and as a servant, he knew a thing or two about how to preserve food and set some aside for the, the, the difficult times. And so he's there. He comes right after the presentation of the dream 
with solutions, with suggestions on how they move forward from there. He's a great administrator. What great administrator doesn't have a solution presented after the problem? Here though, you notice though, he's not trying to make a resume for himself. He's just putting the, pointing the spotlight to God and letting him know what's at stake. I love this principle that we see highlighted in James chapter four, where we're told, humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. And that's what we see with Joseph. He goes the humble route. He doesn't try to suggest that he's going to be the solution, but he points them to what needs to happen. He says, select a discerning and wise man. That's really like the, the, the T-ball. You remember T-ball, you'd pitch these slow pitches so it's an easy hit. This was the perfect setup for God to do a work in Pharaoh's mind. In verse 37, you see the response. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom, the, in whom is the spirit of God? I love that description. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. What do you think gave Pharaoh that understanding? What do you think pointed his mind, pointing his, pointed his eyes towards Joseph? Here, verse 40, he says, you shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. Basically, he goes on in the following verses to explain verses 41 through 56, all of the things that he pours out on him, power, wealth, a new wife, a new family, ultimately. Verses 41 through 56, we see exactly what is prophesied come to fruition. In verse 57, we're left with this hanging thought. It says, moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. We'll pick up with that story next week. As you might know, if you're familiar with this, this is where the brothers enter back into the scene. But what I didn't want us to miss in this is that in one afternoon, one afternoon, Joseph was elevated out of the pit of despair to the second most powerful man on the world. Only God could do this. Only God could do this. Only God can restore. Only God can take your broken situation, whatever you're in. Only he can take it and make it right. Make things new that seem otherwise broken. Josh was kind of cruel to us last week by starting us with a story uh, from a book called Bruchko. Is a story of Bruce Olson. Do you remember that last week? He left you with a little bit of a cliffhanger. And as I was talking to him about it this week, I'm like, I'm like, Josh, I got to give him the ending of that story or else they're going to be uh, really angry with us. And so I thought that fits perfectly as we're highlighting God's hand and moving and restoring something, how he takes something broken and makes it beautiful. If you remember last week, Bruce was dropped off in the middle of nowhere out in the jungle, jungle trying to reach out to the Madeline tribe with, was really one more shot or attempt to bring them the love of Jesus. 
You remember his approach was leaving gifts placed different places where they would find it. And it's kind of a peace offering of sorts. Well, as he's waiting there, just waiting, waiting, one day turned into a week, weeks turned into months. And after a certain amount of time, he's there wrestling Bruce saying, man, how much longer can I stay? I've run out of food. I've run out of resources. On the very day that he was ready to head home and call it quits, he's ready to pack up, already started to work out his transportation. That's when the tribe finally comes out to Bruce. And it was by God's kindness that he allowed one of the tribesmen to find favor with Bruce. They brought him back into the tribe, which then only began the next phase of just extended periods of time where he's trying to learn the culture, learn the language. Eventually, people kind of got tired of the newness of Bruce. He became not such a big deal anymore, except one teenage kid that Bruce eventually called Bobby gave attention to him. And in that attention, he ultimately got to point Bobby to the good news of Jesus. As he learned the the language, he would point to things and be able to connect the dots. And and when Bobby finally understood what, what grace looked like, what rescue looked like, he made the decision to accept Jesus and what he had done on the cross, his life being redirected. And the cool thing about this story wasn't about Bruce getting the opportunity to lead all these people to the Lord. Instead, the story goes on to talk about Bobby, who had a a, a commitment to speaking any opportunity that he could to share the love of Jesus Christ, so much so that we're told the entire tribe, not just a few people, not little mini conversions here and there and families, the entire tribe came to know and follow Jesus Christ. Since then, this is a, based on a true story there in Colombia. Since then, the model loans are now in direct contact with 30 other Indian tribes in Colombia. They've since shared the gospel in 22 different languages and 18 different tribes have now embraced Jesus Christ because of Bruce Olson's commitment. And it's easy in that to see, like even when I was talking there, I realized I was saying it because of Bruce Olson's c- commitment. I would say Bruce Olson's commitment in partnership with a God that loves to restore, that loves to make things new. He's inviting us to be a part of that adventure of being able to point people to the rescue that only he can provide. So, Regardless of what waiting room you're in, don't panic. Don't panic. What happens in the, so often in the, the waiting room is you start running, rushing your mind through worst case scenarios. What's going to happen next? A lot of us are doing that with our, our country, our world. We start doing all this panic stuff. But what are we called to do? We learn so much from Joseph. We're, we learn how to wait. We learn how to be patient. We learn how to remain faithful despite bleak uh, surroundings. Uh, we, we learn that we, you can't turn the route of bitterness. And before you realize it, the God who loves to restore starts to take, do exactly what he does. He's still the same character, starts doing exactly what he does and making things new. So don't look to the world for wisdom. Don't look within that we can't be trusted. Rather, understand the same thing that I advised that woman this last Sunday morning, that restoration, the the new life that you want to live, the the, uh, amazing life of restoring and seeing other people starts 
on our knees. It starts by going before the Lord. Let me pray as we wrap up. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this testimony of Joseph that could have just as easily happened last week as it happened so many years ago. We thank you for the way that you take someone that seems like they're in the pit beyond repair. You bring them rescue. They, you restore them. You elevate them. You take the, the proud, you humble them, and the humble, you elevate. We thank you for that truth about who you are and your character. We ask now as we go into our week, regardless of what our waiting room looks like, we don't run from it. We don't rush out of it. We start asking some of the tough questions. God, what are you trying to do in me? What are you trying to prepare me for? What are you trying to shape? What, are you try what pride are you trying to reduce? How are you wanting to uh, adjust things in my life? God, I thank you for your patience. I thank you for your grace in all of this as we try to get it figured out. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. And all the earth will 
shout your praise. Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. Great are you, Lord. And all the earth will shout your praise. church family. Well, again, thanks for being with us online as usual. Anyway, we can serve you throughout the week. Always feel the freedom to reach out. Our website's a great resource, but specifically you can always email or call or text, whatever's easiest uh, to reach out. And we'd love to get back in touch with you and support you in any way we can. Have a great week.